Hi, welcome back to the Dersh uh, show. Uh, the Supreme Court the other day rendered a six to three decision that um, is very popular. I think most people uh, seem to uh, agree with it. It seems to, you know, kind of make common sense, judgment. There you have a football coach. His name is uh, uh, Joe Kennedy, popular guy. Um, uh, he decides which players will uh, play, which players will sit on the bench. And he's a particularly religious guy, and he, he likes to pray. God bless him. Uh, everybody has the right to pray uh, in the United States. But, but he prays at uh, the 50-yard line uh, at the end of the game, and either implicitly or, or directly uh, encourages his uh, team players to come and, and kneel with him and, 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 and make, a, make a prayer. Hey, what's wrong with that? And the Supreme Court said nothing's wrong with that. And, um, and that um, uh, the public school officials who fired him or suspended him uh, because they thought he was violating the Constitution, um, they were wrong. And he was right. Uh, he has the right to loudly pray in a public school football game um, uh, and, and encourage players to come and kneel and, and, and pray uh, with him. Uh, many religious Americans support that view. There's only one problem. It is utterly, completely, and totally inconsistent with the United States Constitution and everything it stands for. It uh, begins to dismantle brick by brick, the high wall of separation between a church and state. Look, the First Amendment wasn't completely clear as to how to allocate responsibility um, uh, regarding uh, religion. It says, Congress shall make no law. This is, before the, this is before it talks about free speech even. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. That's the first phrase in the First Amendment to our Constitution. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, and then, comma, or prohibiting <laughs> the free exercise thereof. So what, what if you have a conflict um, where in order to make sure you're not establishing a religion, you can't allow the person to exercise uh, their religious rights? Take, for example, an uh, evangelical Christian. Who, who part of his religious faith, it's an important part of his religion, is to convert me to Christianity. That's his job. That's his religious obligation. And, and let's assume that he is a, or she is a professor or a teacher in a school. And, 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 and that person feels their job isn't done at the end of the day unless they've converted me to Christianity. And so they spend the whole classroom saying Dershowitz, you know, you're going to hell. Uh, you can't be a Jew. That's just wrong. You've you got to become a, a Christian. And, and in order to encourage you to do the right thing and to make sure you don't go to hell, I'm going to flunk you unless you accept Jesus as your Savior and your God. Would anybody in their right mind say that was constitutional? Yeah, there would be a lot of people saying that would be constitutional, but of course it would not be. Uh, constitutional. When you have a clash between the free exercise clause and the establishment clause, you have to resolve it in a way that doesn't prefer religion over non-religion and doesn't prefer 
uh, a particular religion over uh, a, 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 another uh, religion. So here's my testing case for the Supreme Court's decision in Coach Joe Kennedy's case. Let's assume his name was not Coach Joe Kennedy. It was Coach Amar Abbas uh, or something like that. And he was a very devout and religious Muslim. And, uh, and he was a really good coach, uh, but he really believed that he had to convert everybody to Islam. And at the end of the game, he would go to the 50-yard line. He'd uh, take out his prayer rug. He'd put out prayer rugs for other people. He would get down on his knees and he would yell, Allahu al-Akbar, and urging people to join him, join him, join him. Um, what do you think the authorities would have done about that in your hometown? What do you think the Supreme Court would have done about that? All right, let's let's change the facts a little bit. Let's assume it's still Coach, you know, Joe Kennedy. But Coach Joe Kennedy is an atheist. He he belongs to, you know, the atheist society. I don't remember the name, the name of it, but the atheist society of America. He wants everybody to be atheists, and that's his religion, atheism. Uh, and so at the end of the game, he stands at the fifty-yard line. And he yells out, those of you who think that God helped you win this game, forget about it. There is no God. There is no God. Stop praying. Practice instead. If we're going to win, we're going to win by being able to be better football players. Don't count on God. There is no God. You think they would let him do that? You think they would let him do that? I'll give you a closer case. Let's assume Coach Goldberg gets up there and at halftime, asks everybody to join him and says, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad, which is the Hebrew uh, prayer. Uh, you think that Christian parents would be so thrilled with that? I think they would probably tolerate it. After all, Judaism is part of our Judeo-Christian tradition. And, you know, we have a lot of Jewish friends. And yeah, as long as one day... Uh, Christians could get up there and give their prayer. You know, uh, it, it's a test case. I have to tell you, this case would not have come out the way it did. It would never have arisen the way it did if uh, the coach were Muslim or Hindu or atheist or Mormon. Um, uh, Mormon be slightly, slightly uh, different. But uh, what if it was a Mormon uh, who got up there and said, those of you who are a married to one person, uh, you should really rethink that because the Mormon religion, at least as it used to be practiced, and as it is still practiced by some, um, uh, permits uh, polygamy. Uh, they would never, ever allow that. So, so although the Kennedy case in the Supreme Court disguises itself as a case about free speech and free exercise of religion, it's not that. It's a case that supports mainstream Christian prayer. That's what it's about, mainstream Christian prayer. The case would not have come out the same way if it had been Muslim prayer, if it had been Hindu prayer, if it had been Buddhist prayer. It certainly wouldn't have come out the same way if it had been atheist non-prayer. Now, you might say, well, atheism is not protected by the First Amendment. Yes, it is. The Supreme Court has said so. It's basically said that if a system of beliefs fills the place in your 
heart and soul that religion traditionally fills in the hearts and souls of religious people, then it's protected by the First Amendment. And in any event, the court didn't decide the case solely on the free on the uh, freedom exercise of religion part of the First Amendment. It also talked about free speech. Free speech, he had free speech. Of course he has free speech. But does he have it as a teacher in a football game? Does a teacher have free speech rights in the middle of a class on mathematics to con- convert people to Islam or Judaism or, or Christianity? No, of, of course not. There are time, place, and manner restrictions on, on, on free speech as well as on the free exercise of religion. So those of you who like this decision like it probably because you favor religion or because you favor uh, a particular religion, but the Constitution doesn't favor religion. Do you know that this Constitution, the Constitution of the United States, um, was called the Godless Constitution? There's not any reference to God in this Constitution. Ministers wanted there to be references to God as there is in many constitutions uh, around the world. Even the Canadian national anthem has, has God in it, and, and, and many, many uh, European anthems have, have God in it, and some constitutions have God in it, not the American Constitution. Declaration of Independence did, but the Declaration of Independence was a treasonous document. You needed God. You needed natural law because it didn't have real law. Um, but this constitution not only doesn't have God in it, in the Constitution itself, not in the amendments, there's only one reference to religion, and it's a negative one. No religious test, no religious test shall ever, ever be permitted for people to hold office in the United States. Do you know what a radical, what a radical statement that was? Just a few years earlier, um, Britain um, had laws and still had, had them for many, many years, requiring anybody to serve in parliament to believe, express belief in Jesus and express belief, by the way, uh, in the Protestant religion, not the Catholic religion, the Protestant religion, uh, which was the official established religion of England. Anglicanism was the official established Protestant religion of England when it broke away from Catholicism. You know, the the history and the story uh, about all of that. And um, and if, if few years in the middle of the in the middle of the 18th century in I don't know 1750 or something <clears throat> parliament as a result of some liberal innovations passed a law saying you know if you're a Jew maybe you could serve in the parliament it was called the Jew law uh, and and you don't have to swear an oath to Jesus you know how long that law lasted I think less than two years it was rescinded after enormous amount of opposition by the public. No, 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 we don't want Jews in our parliament. We want only Christians in our parliament. We want religious tests. We want every member of parliament to swear an oath that they support Jesus and Christianity and mainstream Protestantism. No, no, no Catholics allowed, no Muslims allowed, no Jews allowed. Um, The United States was different. George Washington was different. Um, he wrote a letter to the Jews of Newport, Rhode Island, in which he said, basically, we will not question your faith. You're equal citizens to everybody else. Uh, everybody can sit under their own fig tree as long as they are good citizens of the United States. And then we put into our Constitution, the first Constitution in the history of the world, and for many years, the only Constitution in the world, 
that said no religious test shall ever be required. Some of the states continue <clears throat> to require religious tests for just a few more years, but after that, today, no, of course, no state requires a religious uh, test. But I suspect to be a football coach, if you want to pray at the 50-yard line, at the end of a game, there is a religious test. Don't be a Muslim. Don't be a Hindu. Uh, don't be a Buddhist. Probably don't even be a Jew. If you, and if you're going to be a Jew, give a generic prayer. Talk about how good God is. Don't talk about Hashem or Jehovah or uh, Shammai Israel. No, become a little bit more generalized. Then maybe we can accept you. These are religious tests. These are clear violations of the United States Constitution. And they put clear pressure on, on young students. Take a young kid. Not religious, not particularly religious. He doesn't go to church. He doesn't pray. He comes from a irreligious home, maybe a mixed family. A lot of them are that. Uh, fathers, uh, Catholic, mother, Protestant, mother, a Jew, father, a Catholic. Uh, who knows? Religion isn't part of their life. But he's a he's a, a pretty good tight end uh, receiver. Not first string Maybe he'll be better than the other guy. Maybe not. He really wants to play that game. And he says to himself, if I go out and kneel next to our coach and recite the prayer that he's reciting, I think he's going to have a better, better feeling about me. He believes in God. And so if I pray, maybe he'll think I'll catch that pass. Otherwise, I would miss if I don't pray. So I'm going to go and I'm going to pray. And you're going to say to yourself, what harm does that do? What harm does a little prayer uh, do? Uh, you know, ask yourself if it's a prayer you don't agree with. If it's a prayer you fundamentally disapprove of, what harm you think it, it might do. What it does is it brings down the wall of separation between church and state. And we have thrived with a high wall of separation between church and state. And this case, this case weakens that. And this case, although it's popular and people like it, people think it's, um, uh, yeah, it's a football coach. I, I don't want to see this guy fired. I don't want to see this guy fired either. I just don't want to see him pray um, uh, in, in public and at the 50 yard line. He can pray in front of his locker. He can go into a private room in prayer. And, and pray. He could wait until people leave the stadium. He can come to the stadium earlier if he thinks that it's important to pray at the 50-yard line. I don't know of any biblical requirement of praying at the 50-yard line. I don't even remember the 50-yard line being mentioned in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Maybe I missed something. I think soccer may be in there, but I don't think football is in the Old Testament or the New Testament, the Jewish Bible or the Christian Bible or the, or the Quran. So he doesn't have to pray at the 50-yard line. Uh, he could pray at home. Nobody is stopping him from praying. Nobody is stopping him from praying silently. He can go to the 50-yard line, stand at the 50-yard line, and, 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 and you don't have to recite prayers. You can think them. If you believe in God, surely you don't have to announce that belief. You can just think it. Um, you can just say you know, to yourself, I believe in God, I believe in God, prayer, prayer, prayer. But you don't have to. Uh, publicly pray at the 50-yard line in a context of a public school where students are going to be uh, coerced, at least feel coerced, 
into joining you in prayer. That's not the American way. And this Supreme Court decision is un-American. It's in violation of at least two provisions of the Constitution, no religious test and um, establishment uh, uh, clause. It uh, brings down, to some degree, the wall of separation. Look, we will survive this decision. We've survived other decisions. Um, In the main case, the Supreme Court decided that you have to pay for private parochial schools if you're paying for public schools in certain contexts. Uh, uh, There have been some decisions allowing. And look, God we trust is on our coins. When I was a law clerk on the Supreme Court, every session started with God save the United States and this honorable court on April Fool's. We got the clerk to whisper, God save the United States from this honorable court. Just a joke, just a joke. <clears throat> but we did it. And um, um, and you might say to yourself, if there's prayer in the Supreme Court and prayer in the Senate and prayer in the House of Representatives, why shouldn't there be prayer in the public school? There's a big difference. Those other places are adults. Uh, here you have impressionable young children. And impressionable young children should not be exposed to prayer by government actors and a coach in a school that's a public school is a government actor. So yeah, six to three in favor, the six are wrong, the three is right. If I had been a justice, I would have joined the three. Maybe I would have persuaded even one of the six. I doubt it. But that's my view on uh, the popular uh, Joe Kennedy case, not popular with me. So let's hear how popular it is with you. And you send me your questions and I know which direction they're going to go. I can predict that. Let's see uh, if you can persuade me that I'm wrong. Let me take some letters after I have some water. (coughs) Okay. A lot, a lot of letters about uh, Roe versus Wade and about the Dobbs case. Please indicate the page and paragraph in our Constitution that gives the explicit right to an abortion. I'll wait, but I won't hold my breath. Well, you give me the explicit place in the Constitution that permits the right of married couples to uh, have birth control. You can't can't do that. It's implicit in the right to privacy, but it's not explicit. Uh, You give me the part of the Constitution that says that Japanese Americans... Um, can't be put in detention centers um, uh, during the Second World War, which the Supreme Court uh, did. The Supreme Court has done many, 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 many things <clears throat> that aren't explicit in the Constitution. There are a lot of provisions in the Constitution which support a right of privacy. And remember, Roe versus Wade was built on a series of other cases. When I was a young married student in New Haven, Connecticut, Yale Law School, um, we couldn't practice birth control because the Catholic Church had um, imposed rules uh, on New Haven, Connecticut, requiring them to close down birth control clinics. And the Supreme Court overruled that uh, on, on the basis of a right of, uh, a right of, of privacy. Uh, the Supreme Court also overruled the case of Skinner, uh, which had said you can sterilize uh, people. That's, uh, that's uh, not in the Constitution. And those of you, by the way, many of you oppose my view on mandatory vaccinations. Where's that in the Constitution? Where's that in the Constitution? There's no reference to vaccines in the Constitution. There is a reference to vaccines in our history. George Washington 
required his soldiers to be inoculated, vaccinated. But there's nothing in the Constitution. You know, you guys who point to the Constitution, pick and pick and choose. Uh, would would you think the Supreme Court should say that the states have the right to tell a black man he can't marry a, a white woman? It's not in the Constitution. Not only is it not in the Constitution, the framers of the 14th Amendment would have been appalled. They didn't believe in interracial marriage. They thought it was uh, immoral. Um, uh, so, yeah, it, it's it's uh, it's in the Constitution as strongly as the right to bear arms is. Remember, the right to bear arms is not in the Constitution. The Constitution simply says, <clears throat> and I'll, I'll read it to you so you, you know, the Constitution gives the states the right to have a well-regulated militia. That's what the Second Amendment is about. It says a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. That's the purpose of the Second Amendment, a well-regulated militia. Then it says in the subordinate clause, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. By the way, one of the people writing me about that misspelled the word bear and talked about the right of the people to bear, B-A-R-E, arms, bear arms. So I actually used that argument once as a joke. I'm bearing my arms to show it. Um, we had a case in, in Truro, Massachusetts, in which the ACLU defended the right of people to skinny dip. And so as a joke, we argued that we had the right to bear arms and legs and tushies and other parts of our, our body. It was a joke, but uh, the right to bear arms is subordinate to the need for a well-regulated militia. So I've always read the Second Amendment as allowing the states, which regulated the militias, to well-regulate any arms because arms are allowed in order to make sure that we have <clears throat> a well-regulated militia because that's necessary to the security of the free state. So the Constitution has always been interpreted to include uh, unenumerated rights uh, that aren't necessarily specifically in the Constitution. You can go through the Constitution and find dozens of instances, go through Supreme Court decisions. You know, judicial review isn't mentioned in the Constitution. The Constitution doesn't explicitly give the courts the power to strike down as unconstitutional um, state laws or even uh, federal laws. It's implicit in our separation of powers and, and checks and balances but it's not explicit in the Constitution. All right, let's turn to a few other of these <clears throat> similar type arguments. Oh, poo, since when is murder constitutional? I would say I got about 10 of those in which they say um, that, that abortion is murder. Um, let's see, when did it become constitutional to murder little babies? They don't have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Think about the implications of that argument. If that argument is correct, which it's not, that would mean the states did not have the power to permit abortion. What state would they have the power to permit murder? How could, what if a state would have passed a statute saying um, it is now okay to murder Jews? The state did it. It was called Germany, Nazi Germany. Would that be constitutional? It's not an enumerated power. And, but that's what you guys are asking for. You guys are asking for a rule that basically says, don't give it to the states. I mean, this whole argument about giving it to the states is largely a phony. People are either for abortion or against abortion. If they're against abortion, give it to the states. You don't really want to give it to the states. You would much prefer a decision that says that um, a fetus from day one has the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So the states can't deny that right. 
And therefore, it's not up to the states. No state can permit an abortion. That's what you really want. Don't tell me that you really care about whether it's the state or the federal government. That's a phony argument. It's an argument that we lawyers believe in. But you folks out there, many of you don't believe in that. You just don't want abortion. And you know that if you leave it to the states, there'll be many states that prohibit abortion. <clears throat> and, um, you know, if abortion really is murder, if abortion, if the life of the fetus from day one is protected by the Constitution, then you can't leave it to the states. If there is a right to life, then there is no right of any state to permit anyone to have an abortion. Is that your position? If it is, state it honestly. Don't give me states' rights. It's like in the South. Was the Civil War really about states' rights or was it about the right to own slaves? Um, states' rights was a mechanism by which slave ownership was permitted. And I think the same thing is true here. States' rights is a mechanism by which women can be denied the right to have an abortion. And if, in fact, the fetus has a right to life, then the, the debate's over. If there's a constitutional right to life in the fetus, the debate's over. There are no states. Thomas wins. Thomas wins. Um, um, we abolish not only uh, the right to have an abortion by the states, um, but we also abolish the right to have birth control, the right to marry outside of your race, uh, the right to have gay sex, the right to have gay marriage, the right not to be sterilized, the right not to have yourself inoculated, because that ain't in the Constitution anywhere. And so be consistent, be principled. As I've told you, I have a new book out. It's called The Power of Principle, uh, Why Integrity is Worth the Consequences. Be principled, stick to your principles, but principles require consistency. And if you really, really believe that there is a right to life, that no government should ever be allowed to take human life and human life starts at conception, then you're not in favor of giving it to the states. You're in favor of taking it away from the states. Be honest, that's your view. Then the next series of things are Roe is unconstitutional, therefore it's okay to overrule it. But think about what that leads to. That leads to the day that Justice Barrett was sworn in, it would have been okay for she and the four other justices to hold a press conference. You don't need a case. And to say, look, we've been studying Roe versus Wade. We've come to the conclusion it's unconstitutional. We hereby announce from the steps of the Supreme Court, or you can do it from the bench, doesn't matter, that Roe versus Wade is unconstitutional. We don't have to wait for a case. It's unconstitutional. It's always been unconstitutional. A lot of you guys out there would probably favor that. Not me. You need a case. And you need a case that specifically requires you to come to a conclusion about Roe versus Wade. The Mississippi case did not do that. In the Mississippi case, the only issue was, is a 15-week of prohibition after 15 weeks constitutional. Supreme Court easily could have said, look, first we said trimesters. Then the Casey said we limited it a little bit. Now we limit it further. Uh, we do what many countries in the world do. We allow abortion in the first 15 weeks, but we don't allow it after that. And if any state passes a statute 
saying no abortions at all, then we'll consider whether Roe versus Wade is unconstitutional. See you around in a couple of years, but for now, bye-bye. We've decided. We've made our decision. You brought a case. You win the case, Mississippi. End of the issue. That's the way it should have been resolved. Nobody likes that. You know, nobody likes my views. Why did nobody likes my views? The left doesn't like it because it isn't left enough. The right doesn't like it because it isn't right enough. Uh, the people who support a woman's right to uh, choose decide they want it at every point in the process. Uh, that uh, <clears throat> a fetus is just like an appendix. I don't agree with that. The people who say a one-day fetus is like a 15-year-old child, I don't agree with that. So the one thing you can count on is I never agree with extremists. I'm always trying to calibrate and have nuance, and I think that's what has made our country great, an ability to understand things in context, in nuance, and to understand that our system of checks and balances, federalism and separation of powers, almost always results in some kind of compromise, not absolutism. Both priests are being destroyed by absolutism. You'll hear more about that tomorrow on the show.